You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. Listen to Latin Ways. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson. I'm delighted to be joined by my guest, Maria Paez. Dr. Paez is a sociologist of Canadian and Venezuelan ancestry. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. I thought it was wonderful when you wrote an article, uh, you know, recently about, you know, remembering this colonial past, this colonial past that continues to be in our present, you know, it, it continues to take form in our present. So perhaps you can paint a picture for our audience, you know, what has this colonial wounding that we all have been born into manifested into in the 21st century? A problem is with the word colonialism because it's very historic. So if you say, oh, you know, this is due to colonialism, people think you're talking about something, you know, on the 15th century, which of course it was. But the trouble is exactly what you have just said. It really is, another word for it really, is imperialism, which is which is now um, in the in the 16th, 17th century, the imperialism was called colonialism because they took over, they physically took over the the political uh, structure of countries, you know, and and pillaged um, Latin America and Africa, but basically, but most importantly, and the money that was taken out of the silver and gold uh, mines of Latin America were what fueled the Industrial Revolution in Europe. This is not me saying this, okay? This is, these are scholars that have studied all of this, you know, the, where the money came from and all of this. So Spain ravaged, and, and Brazil and Portugal ravaged Latin America and, and extracted all of this slave labor from making the indigenous people slaves and then bringing in the black people from Spain. And historians usually call this mercantilism. So then Spain got all this money. And, of course, they squandered it. The upper class of Spain squandered all this money on building their their houses and their lavish, um, you know, life. And so they had to get things and they got them from Europe. And so all that uh, metals went to Europe, went to the Netherlands and went to Fra uh, France and went to uh, Britain and all of that. So Latin America and, of course, Africa through, th through their slaves and all the sugar and, and Caribbean and all that, they were the basis of the Industrial Revolution, of the, of the so-called progress of Europe. Now, we live in a different era. So in a different era, uh, the United States and France and, and Germany can't walk into one of our countries and say, we're taking over like they did in the past. Now, how do they take over? They take over through economics because the world is um, united in one very special thing, which is the use of the American dollar. 
the gold uh, standard was uh, left aside a long time ago, and it was decided that um, it would be used, the, the dollar would be used, and the dollar pegged to petroleum. And so this is a situation, for example, that that Venezuela is in. Uh, the uh, the Chinese, uh, uh, I would say, intellectual who wrote uh, The Art of War, I can never pronounce his name, he said every war starts off being an economic war. And this is what is happening in Venezuela, that it's an economic war. Mm-hmm. So we we come to your your basic question, and that is, yes, I can... I talk about colonialism because it is a description of something that happened in the past, but it is not something that stopped. It is something that continues continues today with other arms, with other weapons. And it's, to my mind, it is best uh, said that it is through imperialism, not capitalism, but imperialism, because there are capitalist countries that sort of live by themselves and, you know, aren't trying to uh, overthrow other countries and whatnot. But imperialism is capitalism uh, that is sitting on top of a, a, mm-hmm. of a tank and steamrolling over other countries. And, of course, that is what the United States is doing with its allies, Canada, especially Canada in the last couple of, of decades has been the junior partner of that. And, of course, the, the Europeans who have some degrees of freedom, but not too much. You know, it's interesting that you bring the idea of empire. You know, most of us learning history classes about the Ottoman Empire, about the Roman Empire, about the British Empire, but we never talk about the U.S. Empire. You know, we never talk about the Canadian Empire practices, you know, when when we think about, you know, the role of empire really is hegemony, right? This idea that the rest of the world now takes the form, the customs, the practices of the empire. Colonization is occupying someone's territory, but empire really is about hegemony. It's about the overt assertion of power and coercive power at that, because most people in Latin America, like people in El Salvador who have one major river that's the source of water for the entire country, did not ask for mining companies to take over half the land and pollute and poison the water. And I'm sure that most people in other parts of the world did not choose that form of so-called, you know, advancement or development. So let's talk a little bit about then how is it that this idea, you know, that forms and informs who we are as a society, you know, we're all reaping the benefits of the displacement of indigenous people, you know, the theft and the murders of indigenous children, right? Because those lands were taken not by friendly gestures, but by acts of war. Um, what is our responsibility, you know, in 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 this moment, you know, where in Latin America we say recordar, you know, recordar means both to remember and to awaken, you know, it's one of those double meaning words. And I think it's very apt to describe this moment, you know, that it's not just about seeing something as something that happened in the past, but recognizing that 
if we're holding the bag, you know, it's our responsibility to do something about it, to transform it. Well, the discovery of those thousands of bodies of children, of children in these um, former residential schools, if that isn't a wake-up call for Canada and for Canadians, I don't know what is. This is perhaps the most outrageous thing that has ever happened in Canadian history. This is heinous. This is one of the worst possible things, is the death of children. And 150,000 Indigenous children went through these schools. And hundreds and hundreds of them disappeared, and the Indigenous people were saying, we don't know what happened to them, they're gone. There's not, you know, nothing happened until now. That they they use this this uh, this machine that's sort of like an X-ray machine that can see what's underneath the the land. And this this was organized by the indigenous communities. The, the government didn't want to go looking for these bodies. The indigenous people kept on saying, "Look, they disappeared. What happened to these bodies?" And it, because they were able to pay these people to do these X-rays, now they found them. Now, what is to be done? This is the big question. How is Canada going to, well, I can't erase this past, but how is it going to go forward with this? You know, uh, in the article that I wrote, uh, one of the things that I underlined is that the Canadian government, confederation, before and after, was constructed um, without the indigenous peoples. Heaven's sake, they hung Louis Riel as a traitor, the only indigenous pe- person who was in, involved with the, with the um, confederation. One of the things that I say at the end of, of, of my uh, article is that indigenous peoples must be given a place on the table, that they have a legitimate position to take in the affairs of the nation. It is not possible that we have a cabinet, that we have, you know, an executive, that we have a legislature, and uh, the indigenous peoples are peripheral to them. They they are not seen as uh, decision makers in, in Canada. This is awful. You know, I get really upset when people say, Oh, this land belonged to the Mohawks, and we honor them. This other, I, 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 quite frankly, I say, well, this is good because it makes people, you know, uh, aware of this, and I think that that is very positive, and people should say that, you know, this land where we are right now used to belong to this or that, the Hurons or whatever, but we have to go one step beyond that, because how can it be? that Canada, one of the most prosperous, richest countries in the world, member of the OECD, has hundreds and hundreds of indigenous people that don't have clean water to drink. Just think of it. Clean water. We're not talking about the slums of India, okay? Uh, This is, to me, what the death of these children um, can be a catalyst, that something be done now, not tomorrow, but now, so that the indigenous peoples, their health statistics can come up to the standard of the rest of Canadians. How come they have greater uh, incidence of death, greater incidence of suicide, greater incidence of child suicide? How come they have the greatest incidence of controllable or 
or curable diseases like diabetes, like uh, heart uh, failure? Uh, how come these uh, incidences uh, are worse for the indigenous people today? That's where we have to go. They did the apologies. This is terrible. These people are all dead who ran these schools, most of them, I presume. But we have what is what Venezuelans would say, a social and political debt with the indigenous peoples who are living now. One of the things that I, I think is wonderful that you bring up is that this legacy of colonization continues today. You know, it hasn't gone away. It has taken many different forms. Perhaps now yeah. we call it economic embargoes. Perhaps now we call it, you know, economic sanctions. Perhaps now we call it uh, indigenous reserves, right? Where indigenous people are allowed to live, but that's, you know, but the government sort of rules the land and then they give permission to mining companies to go and plunder the land and poison the water that they're supposed to be drinking. So in in many ways, I mean, after a hundred years of imposed juridical violence, because that's what this is, you know, hegemony in, in Canada took place through laws, right? Just because it's legal doesn't mean it was just or even, no. you know, <laughs> the right thing to do. Um, there is laws that rule the movement of indigenous people and the last residential school only closed in 1996. So it's not something that happened a hundred years ago. It happened over a hundred years, you know, they did it for a hundred years, but it only closed in 1996. So we still have the children who went to those schools who are still suffering from the trauma. And and I think perhaps it's also important to recognize the intergenerational trauma that, that carries on, right? When you were denied access to the very basics you need as a child, you know, the right to feel secure attachment to your parents, to have someone love you and hold you and, you know, tend to you. All of those all things. Of this, all of this came out in the um, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, and you read it, it's, 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 well, it's horrific, but it's, all of this came out. But what is new now, because the commission, uh, its conclusion was there was cultural gen- genocide here. But what, what the discovery of these cemeteries shows is that there was an actual genocide. Absolutely. That there was not just the psychological and the abuse and the, this kind of, you know, cultural uh, genocide, which is because they wanted to eradicate their culture. We've got dead bodies here. We've got dead children in a, in a massive amount. It isn't, you know, a few. Because remember, they've only done this in, I think, um, three um, three schools. There were dozens of these schools, which, which they haven't examined yet. So we're looking at real genocide here. And Canada has to wake up and realize this is true. And furthermore, it has to realize what is the situation of the indigenous peoples today. And it's a slow murder, if you ask me, if you can't get clean water in 2021 in Canada. It should be no surprise to people who are learning of this of the government's capacity to ignore the needs of its own people, to ignore the needs of indigenous people, and to witness, you know, the the mass numbers of them suffering, the ramifications of, you know, violence. 
um, and, and to simply do, stand by idly. You know, we still, oh, we need another study. We need another uh, another commission to investigate, another report. No. You know, we no, don't, we, we don't know, care. we already know what we need to do. What we need to do is eradicate the abject poverty that indigenous people are forced to live with. You know, we need to create services so that we can help people heal the trauma that they've been through. We need to create community uh, education programs so we can end the racism that indigenous people are forced to live with from Caucasians as well as from other immigrants, you know, because we all bring our own wounds of racism and we all spread our messiness, you know, in, unless we learn, yeah. unlearn you know, colonization, unless we decolonize the way we see ourselves, we won't be able to understand why other people in other countries like Venezuela don't want to be under the foot of the U.S. and have somebody else decipher them what they need to do and how they should organize their affairs. Now, one of the important things about the indigenous peoples of Canada is very unique to Canada. A lot of them have a document signed by the crown, that is, the British crown. And they, they, are, they adhere very much to this. This is an important piece of paper for them. If anyone ever tried to get rid of the, um, the monarchy in, in Canada, the first people who will oppose that is going to be the indigenous peoples. And you're going to say, well, how? How can this be? Because these signed agreements with the British Crown has been, in many instances, the defense of indigenous peoples against the Canadian government. This is really com complicated, and I, I don't really know the ins and outs of it all, but I can tell you that the indigenous peoples are uh, feel great uh, importance to those documents because they were the first that actually gave them certain rights vis-a-vis uh, -vis whatever colonial power uh, was here in Canada. Now, wh what does this mean? This means that what subsequent Canadian governments wanted to do was to deny the nationhood of the indigenous peoples. They kind of said, oh, no, no, this, we have to be the nation of Canada. We're not going to let, you know, another nation inside of us. But if you talk to indigenous peoples, they'll talk about the Mohawk nation, you know. They'll talk about the Haida Gwaii Nation, you know? So what did the government did? And I can't remember what year this happened. They said, oh, no, indigenous peoples have to be democratic. You know what that was? That was a way of getting rid of their traditional ways of government. Mm -hmm. Because the traditional way, I'm not saying it might... I'm, because there's no government that's perfect. I'm not saying it was perfect, but their ways of governing themselves was according to long, long-standing traditions of chiefs and uh, people getting together. For example, in the, amongst the Mohawk, it's the women who are um, the leaders, you know. Uh, so each, each group had its way of governing itself. So along came the government with the wonderful idea that, no, no, they've got to be de democratic. You've got to elect them. And so this is why we have a situation amongst some of them that you have two types of leadership. 
you have the leadership that the Canadian governments accept because, you know, people have to vote, and these are the people who are given the money. These are the people who are told, okay, you, this uh, council, you know, we recognize you. We're going to give you the money and you the, the in order to undermine the the one that is the traditional uh, leaders. So that was a big, big break of the back of the indigenous peoples in which the Canadian government said, you now have to govern yourselves according to what we say, and if you don't, you're not going to get money from the government. And this is what's happening right now. That's why they are all divided. That's why they can't sort of come together uh, very well. Um, so it has been a question of uh, dividing rule. I think in many ways, just like most of us in Latin America, indigenous and non-indigenous are not homogeneous. Indigenous people in Canada are also not homogeneous. No, of course. Of course and so, so the Indian Act, you know, which has been in place, really came in to divide and conquer. And did you know that until yeah. recently, uh, I think it was 1960, 1970, um, they couldn't even defend themselves in court unless they rejected rejected their indigenous status. So they gave all their rights away, and then they could go to the government and say, you know, I've been harmed by the government. Th that doesn't make sense, right? You first have to deny your own heritage, who you are as a person, you know, and accept this new colonial government, you know, that Canada is your and then you can and then you can have rights. So in the same way, I think many of us in Latin America can sympathize and empathize because that has been done to us over and over again. You know, the minute people choose to elect a government that will choose the rights of the local people, uh, the U.S. Put, will put sanctions, you know, blockade, uh, block your ability to trade and sell your goods with others so you can can, you know, advance the interests of your people and or, you know, you have aggression, you know, in the form of war, right? That's uh, but been don't, done. Don't leave out Canada. Remember, Canada overthrew the government of Honduras. Mm -hmm. Canada overthrew the government of Haiti. Mm -hmm. Canada has its hands bloodied with what they're doing to Venezuela. Uh, it has it, also uh, done terrible things to um, El Salvador. Uh, so Canada has been in there very quietly doing the dirty work of the Americans. And, you know, most Canadians don't know this. Most Canadians have no idea, no idea that Canada is doing this kind of stuff. Because, the, the, I've said it many times, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Canada is a sinister, secretive government ministry that never tells uh, Canadians what exactly it is doing, that lies, it's its uh, website is, a, is an atrocity of lies. Um, and furthermore, we have, I am sure, she is a CIA agent, which is Mrs. Freeland. Uh, if she isn't, she was just, you know, completely brainwashed in the United States because it has been under her that Canada has advanced by leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds in attacking the uh, popular governments of Latin America. She is a sinister person. And... Uh, Trudeau, well, I'm sorry for Mr. Trudeau, who seems a very nice person, but he is a very ineffective and weak person who is obviously, you know, tossed about and, and, 
and told what to do by these other stronger, stronger people. Uh, I know his father would be turning in his grave to see what has happened to Canada. But I think that this awakening that we're, that we're watching, because people, I have not spoken with anyone in this country that hasn't been appalled by what happened with those children. Not one, not one person has said to me, oh, well, you know, this happened in the past. No, I think the whole country is, is, is appalled. And maybe something good will come out of this if, if they understand that Canada is not Europe. The strong characteristic of this country is that it has indigenous people, you know. And people come here from Europe and from other places of the world and whatnot that don't have indigenous peoples, and they don't get it. I belong to the Louis Riel Bolivarian Circle, which we founded in 2003. And since then, we've been here in Toronto uh, really fighting for Venezuela. And about five years ago, or maybe six, we, we did a, an event at uh, the University of Toronto. And we invited the president, uh, I think his name is Charnier, I think his name was, um, uh, to come and speak to us about Louis Riel, because our name is Louis Riel, and we wanted the president of the Métis Nation to come. And he came. He was a delightful person. He was a lawyer, and he told us um, to a packed audience. This was a, this was a large um, classroom at U of T, packed with people, you know, sitting on the floor. Uh, all the struggles of the Métis Nation and what Louis Riel, you know, meant to them and his struggles and his battles. And when that finished, the president of the Métis Nation said to me, this is the first time that a, a group of people, uh, mostly uh, immigrants, have spoken to us and invited us to come and speak to them. I felt honored, very nice, and then appalled. Appalled that we are living with our back. This whole country is living with, with our back to the indigenous people. They should be front and center of, of, of this country because Canada is not Europe. And I, I can't say that enough. We were having a, a conference about four years ago. We were organizing this conference on the environment in, in, in Montreal, and I was in the steering committee, and I said, okay, we have to start off uh, by bringing someone here uh, from the indigenous peoples to open the conference and say a prayer to be well, one of these guys was saying, "No, not a prayer. I say a prayer. You know, this is, you know, this is a serious thing about environment." And I said, "You know, you, this is Canada. You know, I had to tell him." And yes, we we must start with a prayer from the indigenous peoples. I mean, it was like th this guy was so Europeanized that he he didn't get it. And we have to do this work of. of teaching Canadians that we're not living in Europe. Thank you bye again bye. for being with us. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an independently produced syndicated radio program made available for free to campus and community radios and also to the world at latinwavesmedia.com. Please visit the website to hear previous shows, hear about upcoming events, and consider becoming a member for as little as $1 per month.